Hallelujah. I love when God just does his thing. Man, get to feel his anointing, his presence. And when he sanctions something, when he says something, he's just speaking. That's, that's what I love about the Lord. This is funny, but nobody can, can act as if he's not real. How does he inspire multiple people in different areas of life, in different functions, in different locations, in the same way? How does he say something in your heart and across the world, he's saying something in somebody else's heart at the same time, and when you speak, it connects? God is just real. There's a whole reality that we haven't tapped into, that we don't pay attention to, and sometimes we just take down from it. We act like we don't know it, it exists, but it's, it's this whole realm that's not physical. That's just spiritual, and it connects every single person, and that's who God speaks to. That's like, that's like everybody in the world getting an email at the same time. <laughs> And the email says the same thing, but it says it to you in the language in which you speak. It has the exact understanding of what you need. You don't have to go reference, look up things, and figure out what it's trying to say to you. It's talking directly to you in language that you can hear. This is what Jesus meant when he said, it is good that I go. If I get to go, I can send to you in like fashion a comforter that'll be with you all. Listen, you can you can you can hate on the tongue talking, you can hang on hate on the 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 expression of it, but the Holy Spirit is real and necessary. It is real and necessary. It is a vital part of who we are and what we do. And so I just I'm thankful. Because he's just that good. He moves by his spirit. By his spirit. Hallelujah. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to continue a conversation. But in the continuation of this conversation, we hope to get just a little bit further. Just to make a little more headway. And we're talking about something that has to do with being connected. Has to do with being connected by his spirit. Has to do with being reconciled. So this is part two. Of the power of reconciliation. The power of reconciliation. All right. The power of one. Reconciliation. All right. And so, <laughs> God's already been talking about this. I, I love it. I love it, Pastor Jay. I, I knew he was going to come back on fire. I, I knew it. I told y'all last week. I said, watch. <laughs> I love it, though, because the Spirit speaking to this man traveled. Came back, but the self-same spirit was speaking to him, and he's been speaking to us. God's been speaking to us about this same subject of reconciliation. I hope everybody did a little homework. A little homework. I was forced to. I had some things that was talking to me. And my faith has a voice. We, we found out last week that my faith has a voice. It has the ability to speak for me. So I hope this week you talk back. I hope this week you didn't just sit on mute and let it just talk all it wanted to talk to you and you just dealt with whatever it said. I hope this week that you made a decision to speak back to it. Hallelujah. Because a lot of times that's where we fall. That's where we miss it. We don't understand, again, this spiritual thing. And, and Jesus said something. He said, my words are spirit and they are life to the hearer. You have to put out a spirit when you speak. There has to be something on that thing. You can't just say it in your own power, in your own ability, in your own knowledge. You have to actually say it from somewhere else. And I so much appreciate the opportunity to be speaking eternity whenever I open my mouth. I love the fact that I can speak from heaven because it's not my words, but it's his words. So if I agree with his words, if I reconcile my thoughts to his thoughts, then when I open my mouth, the words that I speak, the meditation of my heart is acceptable in his sight. It has the ability to do what he sent for it to do. 
And so we need power. We need spirit talking to spirit. Because those things that's talking to you are spirit. And so today we're going to get a little closer. I want you to understand something, and we'll chase this out. But don't think that your thoughts are just thoughts. Don't think that your thoughts are just thoughts. Don't think that they're just random. There has been an enemy that has been prepping. And if he is not personally himself having a conversation with you, which he doesn't have to, he has sold into your mind thoughts over the years to get you to a place so that you will be confused. These thoughts aren't just happenstance. This isn't, uh, you know, I just got up. I had some crazy dreams coming. And, and I was saying, man, I got these crazy dreams is coming. It's out of the blue. I don't understand what these dreams are about, you know. And I was discounting it, you know. But I was talking to someone, and they said, they reminded me. They said, you got to understand that this is not just a normal thing. You might need to pay attention to what's being said in your subconscious what thoughts you have. And so I thought about that for a little bit. I said, you know, that's the truth. And this is before God gave me the title, God gave me this message, before any of that. But what he was placing in my heart was a seed to understand that this is not just idle chatter that's going on in your brain. That information came from somewhere. If it's not Satan himself, it's Satan influenced. You might think it's just simple. Do you know that insecurity is another word for demonic influence? Do you know that your insecurity that you own and you walk with is just another word for demonic influence? God never operates in insecurity. He never spoke anything over you that would cause you to be insecure. If you are insecure of anything, that means you lack security. Everything that he says is secure. It's established. So when he speaks in relation to you, when he gives you thoughts, those thoughts have nothing to do with shaking your faith. They have nothing to do with shaking your doubt. They, they, they have nothing to do with inspiring doubt. All they have to do is with building you up giving you a new picture, something that's bigger, greater. We all deal with insecurities, but it's not from God. So that means it's from somebody else. We're going to chase this down. We're going to talk about it a little more today, but I'm not going to get past myself. Let's, let's look at the scripture that we, we talked about last week. We spent all our, week, our, our time here. I promise you go back and listen to the message. Go back on Facebook. I'm not going to re-preach what's already been preached. But I want you to see the conversation. The communication of thy faith may become, effect, may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you, which is in you in Christ Jesus. I love that. We were talking about that. The, the fact of the matter is, is that everything that's good that's in you is in you because of Christ Jesus. It is he that is in you, the hope of glory. It is, it is Christ Jesus. It is his, it's his image that makes you who you are. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, you were created in the intellect of God. You were created in the mind's eye of God. He breathed you in spirit form, and you were a thought of his. He said everything there is to say about you before you ever touched down on planet Earth. You know how I know this? Because you would not cease, you would not be if he didn't say you were. You couldn't even have life because the spirit is what gives life. And his spirit is what gave you the, the opportunity to be here. This is why suicide is the most foolish thing that you could ever think of. Because for you to be on the planet meant that God had a purpose for you here and he spoke something in thought of you. And it wasn't for you to be depressed. It wasn't for you to be without. It wasn't for you to be sick. It wasn't for you to be broke. It was because he had an idea of who you were. 
And so when we're talking about the power of reconciliation, we have to look at the best example that there was of an expression of God's thought. And this was Jesus, Yeshua, God with us, God in us. God wrapped himself in flesh. The idea of everything The height of humanity was wrapped in flesh, and it dwelled among us. And I want you to see something today, that in God's mind, you are just as valuable. That in God's mind, everything that he put in Jesus, he put in you. And when he reconciled us, through the cross, it was because he wanted to reconcile you to who you really are. Is it possible that you could have been in this life this long and have not ever met yourself? Is it possible that you've been on this planet time after time, day after day existing, but you've never lived because you've never met yourself? Is it possible that there is a stirring on the inside of you that even though you have never heard instruction externally that said you were greater, you were more, it creates this disdain in you because you're not living at the level of which you were called to live. Is there a holy dissatisfaction that you're struggling with? Is there an expectation that I should have and I just don't see it? That's what's bothering us right now as the body of Christ. And we got an opportunity right now to tap in so that we can be fully reconciled. So that what is actually in our hearts through God can be exhibited in our actual physical realm. And we can see this every day. That's what God wants for us. Watch this. Watch this. The communication of our faith. Let's talk about reconciliation. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. This is where we'll we'll rest for a little while. But I want us to build this case out. God is speaking life to you right now because he has an expectation from you. Jesus was the first of many. That means that the same responsibility, the same thought process that God had in relation to Yeshua, he has in relation to you. You are not less than Jesus in God's eyes. I'm messing with I'm messing with your religion right now. I'm messing with your self-esteem right now. I'm messing with your humbleness right now. I'm messing with everything that you understand because it needs to be shaken. You were taught different. You were taught that God didn't that you were that you were not supposed to be something. You were taught that you were less than. And it was something that we all were taught. This scripture is going to talk about it right here. Check this out. For if when we were enemies, look at the verbiage. First thing it says, enemies. For if when we were enemies. This is Paul speaking. He's talking about him. In relationship to God, and he's talking about the people that he's writing to in relationship to God. Let me just give you a little history lesson on Paul. So Paul, who was Saul, was raised to be basically a child of God by birthright. In In our day, it would be like a church, a church kid, you know, like PK, you know. Like you've been in church all your life, you know. So just because you grew up in church, you were in church. You know, church, a lot of church kids don't know when they got saved. They can't tell you. Because they grew up in church their whole life, they was there. I talked to one when I got friends with one. He, he said, Man, I was on the pew at five, I remember. 
sometimes it's hard for them to reconcile because they, all, they, they, they never viewed themselves as enemies. They've always been in. They've always been connected. They were always brought in the environment. So this is Paul. Paul was brought up in an environment where he was, he was on God's side. So much so that he actually fought Christians early in his, in his walk because he thought that they were blaspheming against his God. He was so headstrong on his ability to be connected to God through a bloodline that that was more important than him actually being really a child of God. So he hadn't gotten to the place where he understood about reconciliation, about what Jesus did for him. He was actually cursing the same Jesus and killing people who worship Jesus. In fact, historians say, and the Bible also says that he was present as an authority figure when Stephen was martyred and as he sat there and gave the first discord that's known in that in that era about how Christ redeemed us and how God is greater than the temple and how God is greater than temple worship and how God wants to create a new church and that new church being in people and not in a building when he was stoned for his words that were true, Saul stood by, sanctioned it because the coats were laid by him. That meant that he was an authority figure, well-known, understood that he was the person of authority and would okay what they were about to do. So when Paul uses the term enemies, he says we. Paul says this because he recognizes that there was a time where the intention of God was shifted and mankind became something that it was never intended to be. Now, the funny thing is, as I'm sitting on this stage and talking to you and talking to you, it seems as if I'm talking two different languages. I'm telling you one that God always intended for you to be just like him. That he thinks so much of you that he loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. But on the other hand, I'm also telling you that something happened that caused a rift between you and God before you ever touched down. And that thing caused you to grow up believing that you were his enemy. The word enemy here has a few meanings. One is... To repel God. Almost as a stench would be. You ever walk by something or smell something and it almost made you gag and you were, <clears throat> You couldn't allow yourself to get close to it because it was so wretched? That term enemy means that. It means that in God's goodness, in his actual presence, this character actually repels God. Is sickening to him. Second definition, it means somebody who actively fights against. So this means that you actually, even if you don't repel him, see some people can repel you and not touch you physically. They don't have to be physically against you, but their scent is offensive. You ever seen or dealt with people that you just say, I ain't dealing with them. They're not there to fight you. They're not actually against you. But for whatever reason, you don't. Mm -mm, no, I'm good on that. But the second person is the person that actually wars with you. Every time you say something, they say something. That is in opposition to. Every time you come forward, they come forward. Because they think they can stand toe-to-toe. -to -toe. This is the position that we were placed in. But I want you to understand something. You weren't placed there because of your lack of worth. You weren't placed there because of how you lived. You weren't placed there because of your drinking, your smoking. You weren't placed there because of your adultery. You weren't placed there because of your lying, your cheating. You weren't placed there for any reason. You know why you were placed there? Adam. 
Adam in one fell swoop, when he disobeyed God, he created an atmosphere where it was warfare. From the garden, the war was on. And up to the cross, the warfare didn't end. But I want to encourage you because the war is over. I have to send you this memo because see what the world doesn't want to tell you and what the traditional church doesn't want you to understand is that the war is actually over. See, when the war is over and it's peacetime, then, the, then we look at things different. The problem is the enemy is playing a bluff system to keep you in a war that has already ended. So the enemy now wrestles with you to keep you fighting when Jesus has already won. The battle for your soul was fought on a cross and it was fought by one. So therefore, reconciliation can only come through one. Enemies, 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 enemies. It said we were enemies, but God has not made us enemies. So we, let's keep reading. So it says we were reconciled. I love the fact that it says were. Were means it's past tense. Were means that what he's saying is we're not being reconciled. We're not currently in the act of reconciliation, but we were. Were has a sense of time attached to it. That's important because in the physical realm, we run it by time. So when we say were, we mean it's something that happened back then. This was written before you were ever born, by the way. So if, if it was already done, if Paul could say were, what can you say? So here's the thing. This is the funny thing about the enemy because, see, the enemy, as long as he can play this bluff game, see, the power that you've been given as a child of God is creative power. You've been made in the image and the likeness of God. So guess what? Some people say this in jargon. I say this a lot of times on my job. Perception is your reality. How you perceive a thing. How you look at it. How you objectify it. How you think it is. That's what it is. That becomes your reality or your real space so each day when you wake up you create your own universe with how you think when your foot touches the floor what is on your mind is shaping the reality of what's going to happen that means that the power now belongs to you because the reconciliation is a word it's past. It's already done. So what then lies the problem? Where is the problem? The problem is we don't know what that includes. We don't understand what that entails. We don't know the benefits that come from reconcil being reconciled to God. We don't know the power. We don't know the access. We don't know the ability that we have now because we have already been reconciled to God. Let's talk about reconciliation. Let's talk about that word reconcile. That word reconcile, great meaning of the word, means to exchange. It means to exchange. It's like getting coins for coins. It's making a perfect swap, an even swap. 
What Adam did was bring something called sin in. What Jesus did was bring something called life in. How did he do that? A perfect swap. The reason why we hear the testimony of Jesus and how he had to suffer and how he had to be in pain. And and let me add to that. Pastor Jay made a perfect picture of how that looked to give you a little, let your imagination go a little bit. Many of you have seen probably the Passion of the Christ, right? Real, real, the real message behind that is the director said that, the producer said that if he would have made it exactly like the actual account, that he couldn't even get a rating to, to, to show it. Because it was so much more gruesome than what you saw that he wouldn't even have been allowed to broadcast it. So he had to lighten it up. He had to dumb it down in order for it to be visible for us. What pastor sat up here and described where he talked about the, 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 the meat and, and, and being able to see his bones and being able to see the flesh and the veins ex- being exposed and all of those things. We can make a mental image out of all the gore that you've ever seen. And you could be a horror movie addict. Out of all the gore and gruesomeness you've ever seen, there was not a picture on the planet that was as ex- exposed, as disgusting as what Jesus endured. Let me add more to you. Let me help you out a little bit more. A scripture that we're going to go through is going to talk about how he became sin for us. So this means not only did he take the physical abuse of other people beating him, he also absorbed everything that is the re- that that is a result of sin. He absorbed AIDS. He absorbed cancer. He absorbed grotesism. He absorbed all of those different diseases and abnormalities. All of those things came to him. You know what the Old Testament scripture says in Isaiah? It says that you wouldn't even think he was human. Let that sink. You wouldn't even imagine him as a human form. That is what he adopted, took upon himself in exchange for you. This is why we have to stop allowing the things that he's already paid for to inflict us. Because the scripture says he was wounded for our trans-reconciliation exchange. He was bruised for our iniquity exchange. Exchange. What does iniquity cover? Iniquity covers anything that was passed down in your bloodline all the way dating back to Adam. It includes sin. It includes any uh, 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 emotional issue, any mental health issue, any physical abnormalities, any condition. You know how the doctor says, hey, tell me if somebody in your family has had this issue in the past. When I got a hold of this truth, you know what I started to do? I didn't lie to them. I told them the truth. I said, no. They haven't. Anybody had heart issues? Nope. Anybody dealt with diabetes? Uh Uh-uh. But I said it from faith. The reason why I said it is because I understand that Jesus took a step into my past and my history. And even though my dad died with congestive heart failure, I'm not finna sit here and give the enemy something to play with. The devil is a liar. I have no heart issues because he died for me. So the truth is, Jesus stepped in and embodied iniquity and put that on his back as well. You think the cross was heavy? You think the cross and some stripes would have him in the garden the night before sweating blood, actual blood? 
Scientifically, they say that if you're at that place, it's because of anxiety at such high levels that capillaries burst and you become you begin to sweat actual blood. This wasn't a metaphor. This was really happening. He was under that type of intense anxiety from what he had to take on. And you think he wants you to have anxiety medication? You think he wants you to be on pills for the rest of your life? What was the use of him being in the Garden of Gethsemane if that's what he could come back from? What are we doing to accept what the enemy has already been? The victory is won. The enemy has been defeated. And this isn't popular to preach because if I preach this, then I have to believe it. If I believe it, then you have to call me on it. If you have to call me on it, then I might have to lay hands. And if you don't get healed, then I might have to say, well, (laughs) there's some things that happen here. But it's never going to be God's fault. But now it calls me down to where I have to address what the issue might be. But the accountability and the responsibility that God said would be on the church is he said, believers, you're going to heal the sick. Believers, you're going to raise the dead. We're going to shut down mortuaries and morgues because of you. You're going to put McLeod's and these other places out of business because of your anointing. This is what reconciliation is all about. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of who? The devil. If you think your sickness is from God, you bumped your head. He would not pay for something and then, and, and then put it on you. Why would he take the punishment, the abuse, in order for you to take it? And we are supposed to be ministers of what? Reconciliation. By us being aligned with God, it's supposed to create an alignment with you. When we come in contact with the world at large, the non-believers should be able to believe by us. You want somebody to follow you, raise somebody from the dead. You'll have people knocking at your door all times of the night. I just don't know where my ministry is. You want your ministry to pop off. Do what God said. Be reconciled. Reconciliation is not for the stage. He said, blessed are those whose feet... They carry the gospel. He didn't say who stands toe-to-toe on the pulpit. He said ten toes down is moving and there's some action happening. When they move, my gospel moves and they are blessed. Reconciliation. So we reconcile to who? To God. We're not reconciled to this world. We're not reconciled to the church as it stands. We're reconciled to God. That means that everything that we represent is in total connection and uniformity with God. I don't have to fight you about what you wear when your heart is recognized and reconciled with a living God. I don't have to give you my church attendance record as long as I'm telling you about the heart of God. Because if you reconcile to God, guess what's going to happen? Everything that's out of line is going to get in line because I'm telling you about a living God.
I don't have to preach you out of adultery. All I got to do is preach Jesus. You'll come out. Either you accept who you are or you stay in the enemy warfare and you keep battling. But that's on you. That's not my responsibility. We're reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God by the death of his son. I love it. Pastor Jay always says he talks about, he talks about this being one of his favorite things because Jesus had the power to lay down his life. <laughs> but he was so powerful that he could pick it back up again. And because he was the only one that could actually do that, that's why he was the perfect sacrifice. And it is in, in that belief that we stand. We don't serve. We're the only religion that doesn't serve a dead God. He is alive. He is well. He is active. He is moving. He's communicating. He is a heart to heart. He is breast to breast. He is shoulder to shoulder. Everything that we do is in him. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our very being. He is still the I am. Present tense. No such thing as past or history. He stands outside of time and constructs things as he will. And when he says it, it becomes what he says it is. So his son, his son, his son's death, that's what reconciled us to God. Now watch this. I want you to understand these next two words. I love these two words. Much more. It's something so simple. But it's yet so huge. Much more. <laughs> Much more. So, first off, much describes the more. Much more. But let me tell you what the much actually means. The much actually means to the God power. You remember exponents? Remember doing things to the second power? To the third power. This is to the God power. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. It's, it's, it's actually, if you break down the Greek and look it up, that's exactly what you come to understand is it is so abundant. It is, it's actually the same word that's used when it talks about his love. It's infinite. So when I say to the God power, it's to the God power. Now, how does this work in context? All right. So he reconciled us to God by the death of his son. And then it says the next statement, much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we don't have, we don't tune into life. We live in a world that promotes death. Every day you wake up, you see yourself a little older in the mirror, right? It's reminding you. Every birthday, every gray hair, every thinning, every bit, it's all telling you, you're going to die. Every commercial, <laughs> every commercial. You go outside, you look at a plan, it looks like it's dying. Everything in this life that you see is in a cycle. That's all you see. What you don't see is life. Life is eternal. That's not just the quality or the ability to be able to breathe. When I say the term life, I don't just mean like life insurance. 
When I say the term life, I'm not just talking about you being able to wake up this morning. Even though that is a part of life, that's not the limitation that I'm talking in reference to. When he says much more and then he talks about life, you got to understand that he's talking about something that never ends. It's eternal. It is eternal. It stays in a consistent state of being forever. This means that youth will never go away. Because it is consistently being renewed every second of every minute of every hour. Is it possible that you can age in reverse? If you tapped into life, it's possible. Is it possible that you can look younger? Have you ever seen somebody who was a slave to sin? And you see them, and they're at their lowest point. Look, they can die in a minute. You see death on them. You come back around 10, 15 years later, and you see them, you're like, who was that? Who was that? And they got born again in the process. And they're telling you about how good their life is and how awesome Jesus is. And you're like, man, you look better than I ever seen you look. That's because he's tapped into a life that he didn't previously have. The life of God. Life to the God power. Listen, if sin is such a drastic thing and every pulpit in America could be talking about sin and we would fill up congregations because we all know it. It's real life. What if we changed and began to preach on life? To the God power. What if we infiltrated the atmosphere with the word of God in such a way that we cause dead things to come alive? What if instead of condemning you to hell, I spoke to you a word of life that got you locked into heaven? What if I actually ministered reconciliation and not rules? The reason why Jesus was murdered outside of him having to be the atoning sacrifice for us was because the people of the time couldn't manage or understand how his ministry was such a valid ministry. How can God validate the things that this man does when he doesn't go by our ordinances, when he doesn't go by our way of thinking, when he will not be subject to our thought process, where we can't cage him or box him. We can't put him in a trap because every time I turn around, he's slipping this way and slipping that way and he continues to grow. Why is it? That there wasn't a cage big enough to hold it, Jesus. Why did he have an audience with higher ups, upper echelons of society, and at the same time decide to dine with with thieves and, and prostitutes? Why is it possible that you can be on both sides of the track and minister what God says minister? How can you have just as much impact in the hood as you can in a high rise? How is that possible? Because he did not succumb to the world and how we viewed it. He focused mentally on who God was and the business of his father. And because he did that, he could rebuke you and hug you. There was no challenge in himself. He wasn't wrestling with his own insecurities. He could tell you straight and then put his arm around you and say, come on, let's eat this fish. 
You can have Peter so frustrated on the boat. Why you keep asking me the same question? Then come feed him when he docks the boat. He wasn't trapped. And we don't have to be either. We are reconciled to God. Christ is a part of us. He is who we embody. The disciples love the disciples, but they healed. And it was funny, but when they healed, the scripture didn't say that they referenced anybody else. They would say one name, and then they would say, it's a power that I have. Is that possible for me to be able to walk upon you and lay hands on you and heal you and not have to tell you who my church affiliation is, how long I've been saved, how many degrees I have? Is it possible that I don't have to pull out my wallet and say, okay, here's my minister's license. Here's my ability to have, here's my clergyman card. Let me give you all of this information so that I can come do what God told me to do. They looked on somebody and said, hey, I got this. Get up. Such as I have, I give it to you. I give it to you. Such as I have. Reconcile. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall have power. It belongs to you. When the Holy Spirit came, the Bible said that tongues of fire, meaning separate divisions, flame of fire, sat on each of them. Each. Each. You remember Moses and the bush that wouldn't be consumed but was on fire? You are now the bush. Everywhere you walk is holy ground. You can walk around barefoot if you want to. Because every place you step, the anointing of God, the fire of God should be sitting on you. What are you doing? I'm speaking to who you are. I'm calling you out of that cave. I'm calling you out of that place where you continue to war in your mind. The devil spoke to Jesus. He had a whole dialogue with him. You think you're exempt? But after all he had to say, Jesus was confident and confirmed in who he was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, if you will, growing up, being told that you are the son of God? Can you imagine every time your name is called that it means salvation? Can you imagine? I know we can't, we, we think about how we grew up, right? And there was a lot of things that was called on us. And it was, it was the Savior. <laughs> Let's just keep it real. You know, <laughs> it wasn't always Savior, come here. Okay? But can you imagine the pressure of being under that kind of, you got that pressure on you as a child. And you're being told. You know what that pressure did to Moses? It caused him to kill somebody. Story of Moses was he was raised with Pharaoh, but he was nursed <laughs> by his own people. And by his own people, he was being told he's a deliverer. You're a deliverer to us. Every time he got milk, you're a deliverer. Every time he played with his little friend, you're a deliverer. Every, when he met his cousin, you're a deliverer. Everything was on him. That pressure was on him. That's the reason why he rose up in anger against the Egyptian that was trying to take out his family members. He had been told his whole life, I got to defend them. Pressure. But here Jesus 
has that same pressure. So much so that when John the Baptist, who is the man at the time, he is the one. He got everybody coming out to see him. I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of pools out there. We got social media and everything. He had none of that. And he had that, he had that river jumping. There wasn't a place to stand. He, he, he was talking about, what, what y'all doing out? Who told y'all to come out here? I didn't call y'all. And even the pressure that he laid on Jesus, he laid pressure on his own cousin. He said, man, it's supposed to be the other way. I can't do this. Jesus said, no, it's got to happen this way. That type of pressure, can you realize the mental warfare that that man went through? So when he lets us take a peek of it in the fourth chapter of Luke or in the fourth chapter of Matthew, and we get to see his conversation with the enemy, don't think that's the first or last conversation that he had with old insecurity and old Satan. Is it possible that what's telling you in your mind that you're not enough, that's what's telling you in your mind that if you be the son of God, that's what's telling you in your mind that if you so save, why don't you see? Could it be possible that that's the enemy? Having that conversation with you, giving you an opportunity to stand up and speak back to it like Jesus did. Do you realize that the, the voice of the enemy was in Jesus' own voice? Do you realize that he wasn't talking to a, a visual serpent? That it wasn't no guy in red with a pitchfork talking to him? But it was all here. And it's right there where you process your entire day, what you do, how you do. It all happens in the same spot. That's why it's important for this to be reconciled to God. Because when this is reconciled to God, what will happen is your faith will speak for you. God will speak on your behalf in here and you can say out of your mouth what God said and not what your insecurities say. I've been doing it this week. <laughs> it's funny. I had planned to go to, through like a case study with you guys. I'm not going to do that, but I plan to go through a case study and just let you, let you see what it looks like. Very practical. But it requires focus. Because what you don't realize is that when you don't say anything, when you allow it to continue... It monopolizes your thought life. And then when you go to sleep at night, thinking you good, it runs back the reel and puts everything on rewind and it plays this video in your mind the whole night through. Then the next morning when you get up feeling funny, you don't know what's happened. But what's happened is all night long, the thoughts of the enemy that you didn't check have been running rush out all over your mind. And now, even though you're connected to life, you're living below your means because you have no connection to what what you've been reconciled to how do church people live poverish lives because we don't know how do we have more sickness do you realize in the book of James when he said is anyone in, is anybody among you sick he was looking for a limited number of people if we say that in today's church, you have 35, 75, 65% of the church stand up. What am I saying? This is not condemnation. This is truth. There is an internal conviction that you have to get to to say, I refuse to let the enemy play in my mind. The war is over. And if I can't say nothing else, I can say Jesus because his name meant salvation. It delivered me from the warfare. It delivered me from sickness. I don't have to battle this any longer. But it's a day-by-day -day process. I want you to understand this. I can lay hands on you once and you might see recovery. And this is what Jesus would do. But then he would say, go and sin no more. This would mess you up. And if I was a religious preacher, you would think that the sin 
would be for you to go out and start back drinking or go out and start back smoking or go out and start back cursing or whatever it is that you think your vice is. No, 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 no. This means go back and start worrying. This means go back and start thinking the way you thought in the past. This means go back and keep acting like you ain't healed when you know you healed. This means that you continue the lifestyle that you had previously mentally. Not the symptoms of sin, but the actual sin. The sin is not believing. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let him not think that he's going to receive, not that God didn't give it, but that he can't even receive what God did because he's back and forth in doubt, in faith, in I believe you, well, I really don't. This is the thought process that we wrestle with. This is the sin that God was saying, sin no more. It's here. The actions are fruit. The Bible says, where does lust, where does it come from? It comes from the heart. And then it matures and becomes a sin. Now you get fruit that is an action of what was already happening. So why not get the seed at the root? Why not remove, renew the thing that you need to renew so you walk in the level of authority that God has intended for you? Because it's not that Jesus didn't do it. Paul said we were reconciled. Were. Past tense. Were. Our responsibility as Christians is to reconcile others. How do we do that? We start at home. If you don't reconcile you, how can you reconcile somebody else? If you don't pray for a cold, how can you heal somebody of cancer? Oh, it's just a little cold. Everybody get colds. Oh, it's just flu season. There's a time for this. It's just flu season. That's what it is. My healing is everlasting. Do you think God put a pause on that for a flu season? But this is our thoughts. Where did those thoughts come from? They came from the enemy. Ultimately, we know it. Now, what do I need to do? I need to arrest every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of my God. I got to bring that thing into fetters and chains and lock it up. I can't allow it to run all over my life and have free course. Why you think we on so many meds? We got to be. We got to be. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to apply the word that we believe. Start every day. I'm telling you, I've been focusing on doing this this week, and it is a job. You know, the Bible has a, a scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews, it says, it talks about entering into the rest. Entering into the rest. You understand that? Entering into the rest, talking about there is a rest for the people of God. There is a Sabbath. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. There's a Sabbath. There's a rest. There's a Sabbath day's rest for the people of God. He wasn't talking about a day. He was talking about a life. And this is what he was saying. He was saying that you should be able to enter into this type of rest where you cease from your own labors. All right? But then he uses a word. He says, labor. Let us labor, therefore, to rest. 
labor to rest. Yeah. Let us labor to rest. How do you labor to rest? This process. The work of, cro of the cross is the rest of God. When Jesus said, it is finished, he rested. It's the same thing if you look back in the beginning in the garden that God said in the garden. And when the warfare began, uh, be, uh, started and began, that's when the rest broke. And up until that point to the cross, it was warfare. But the cross was the new rest. So when it tells me to labor to enter into rest, what it's telling me is, is to take what Jesus did and apply it in such a way that it is vigorous, that it is day by day, that it is second by second, that I continue. I won't let it stop. I'm going to keep saying what God has done. I'm going to keep saying it is finished. I'm going to keep saying I am healed by his stripes. I'm going to keep saying I am the lender and not the borrower. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm going to keep saying what God says say because it won't my work to begin with. It was his and it was good and it is finished. Labor to rest. Labor to rest. Labor to rest. Not my own works. This isn't positive thinking. No. 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 This is renewing my mind on the truth of God. Tony Robbins, all these other, these, these people out here that, that could tell you ways to get out of this and out of that and how to stop smoking and, and do all of this stuff. They got, they got the format, but they don't have the power. They don't have the power. So they can give you a format that might work for a period of time, but then the engine ain't there. So all you got is something to just spin and keep going. It's not really there. We got to get the engine. That's God. That's reconciliation. The power of one. God, we give you glory. Right now, homework simple. Keep reminding everything that Jesus is Lord. Keep reminding everything that Jesus is Lord. Keep reminding everything that Jesus is Lord. It's so simple that a fool couldn't error. You don't have to have a PhD for this. Everything should hear that Jesus is Lord. If it's talking to you, talk to it. God, we give you glory for who you are. We bless your name, Jesus. Can somebody just give God a praise right there? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray and we're going to leave, but we thank you, God, for your word, your truth have nothing to do with anybody else in here but you. God, we thank you. Thank you for the signs and wonders that'll come off of your word. That'll come from the application of your word. We thank you for the faith that is encouraged in our hearts. We thank you for the power and the authority that you have given to us. And we accept your will. We're going to communicate to everything that communicates to us. And we're going to tell it what you say. You are Lord in Jesus' name. You are Lord. And we give you glory for that. Thank you for living with us. Thank you for walking with us.
Thank you for impacting our lives going forward. As we believe and we ask only in the power of one name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for coming and joining us today. Please let us know. We love to hear, to hear testimonials. Let us know what God is doing in your life. And we're going to give you that word of encouragement. And we ask that you be blessed going forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.